Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to 2021. It's the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. It's a new year. And I'm one of your co-hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside, as always, Paul Gilieri. We made it, Jason. We did it. We did it. We're here. It's January. I love it, man. You know, I have to be honest with you. One of the beautiful bright spots of 2020, as dismal and uh, frightening of a year as it was, on so many levels, was the the genesis of this podcast. Yeah. So, so here we are. I'm looking forward to new and exciting prospects, progressions, and prosperity for this podcast in 2021, my friend. That's a lot of peas mm-hmm. and um, alliteration. Aside, and some more Paul. And some more Paul. <laughs> more and more Paul. More Paul. <laughs> Plenty more precocious wait, Paul. Wait, would you say we will have a plethora? Of Paul this year? Si, si el guapo. A pithera. <laughs> I'm thinking of what you're putting down. Yeah. Um, 2021. Thank God. Okay, so here we are. As we open a new year, um, we figured we should take a stab at our favorite show openers. Mm-hmm. The first song to open a Pearl Jam concert can sometimes tell you a lot about how the night's going to go. And um, some we as the Pearl Jam community like a little bit more or find um, certain songs to be more forthcoming in getting our getting us jacked up for the show. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily correlate to the intensity of the song itself. It could be a slower song. It could be a faster, louder song. We don't know. Right. So we figured we'd take a stab at that. And also, we're going to bring back a little segment we call What If? And we pose a question. What if something had or had not happened? How I'm, I'm excited about this one. You you pitched this one to me, and I said, you know I what? Did. I like it. I hadn't yeah. thought of this, but it's a good idea. Um, so we're going to talk about that after our top five show openers. And then, uh, of course, our lyric and left card of the week. Um, but first and foremost, Happy New Year, New Year to everybody out there in our fabulous State of Love and Trust podcast community. And um, yeah, as Paul said. What should that community be doing when they finish this episode, Jason? Well, I believe they should be following us on all social media and they should be reviewing, rating, and subscribing, not necessarily in that order, but whatever order you want to, on your podcast provider of choice, be that Deezer or Stitcher or Spotify or Apple or Google or whatever the hell else there is. So without further ado, let's get into our top five uh, best show openers. Paul, what kind of, um, what kind of songs didn't quite make the cut for you in your honorable mention category? Um, You know, I kind of went through statistically, which songs have opened concerts the most. Mm -hmm. And wash actually has opened a lot more shows than people think it has probably a lot in 91 92 huh 
Yeah, it actually it, it's cleared the eighty mark actually. So really, more, more than yeah, more than eighty times actually. And uh, it is not in my top five. I, I love the song, okay, uh, and, and I, I it is a good opener, but it, it's not in my top five. Okay, so that's an honorable mention. As is sometimes, mm-hmm. which was a, a classic opener from uh, from the No Code tour, and, and actually we got a little bit of it in uh, in two thousand, I think. I'd have to go back and check, but uh, very popular opener. Uh, and Why Go actually mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. would be another honorable mention. Which uh, you know had had a little bit of a run there during the the ten era. Um, outside of that, I think Severed Hand and Love Boat Captain had some time mm. opening shows for their respective tours, but I wouldn't qualify them in my top uh, top fifteen or sorry top fifteen for sure, wow. but 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 definitely not top five. Okay, well, um, for me, a couple of songs that didn't quite make the cut. You've mentioned a couple of them. Why Go, Wash. Ugh, they're so good. Actually, I think I think Wash opened um, Philadelphia 05 when I was there. And I was like, I got yeah. so excited when that song opened the show. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy... Um, I mean, I'm going to leave it there because there's a couple more, but I don't want to, you know... I don't want to narrow things down too much. So I'll just say, yeah, I agree with those two uh, uh, specifically as great openers. The drum beat to Why Go, getting you pumped up right out of the get-go, right yep. out of the gate is super fun. Uh, but yeah, here we go. Number five for you. What do you got? Long Road. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not a track that I listen to often, but there's something about the way it ushers the audience into this journey that you're about to take with the band for that performance and long road is it, it, it's it sets the tempo for the show and i think thematically it allows the band i should say eddie since he's the one that creates the set list uh, just a myriad of opportunities in terms of which direction he wants to take it it really really opens up the show nicely uh and and you can come in hard after that you can come in with animal you can come in with uh uh, would save you. There's so many tracks that just play really, really well off of it as well. So, big, big fan of that as an opener. That's my number five. Cool. Okay, that's your number five. I'm gonna go with sometimes is my number mm. five. Um, I always come back to um, uh, the form in Los Angeles. I believe '98, and I just love how it it kind of just kind of sneaks in you know it's album openers aren't chosen as concert openers save for like go sometimes usually it's not an opener on an album that opens a show there's something about kind of lulling the audience into a false sense of security before being pummeled with a hard rock song much in the same way on the album that they go sometimes to hail hail which is kind of like kind of why we like those two songs back to back yeah album Mm -hmm. and i just love how eddie is kind of welcoming us into the campfire that is the show. And then the rest of the band kind of joins in. And it's just a great way to kind of welcome the audience to a show. I I just think it's just, it's a really fun way to get into the show. Agreed. Number four. Mm, Four for me would probably be Pendulum. Mm. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine a more pensive way to open up a show. And we were fortunate when we caught them 
on the Lightning Bolt tour. They opened, I think, both shows that we saw with that that track. I know one of them for sure. I'd have mm-hmm. to go back and check. But uh, it it it's just such a haunting, introspective way to open up a show. And much like with Long Road, it really paves the way for the rest of the set list to go in such a wide array of directions. First and, show. Um, the first show, thank you. Second show is Oceans. Just so uh, well, ironically, that that uh, well, we'll get to Oceans later. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, P- Pendulum for me was a standout track on Lightning Bolt. And um, y- you really think about the way Eddie sets up a set list. And it very much is a lot of the times very much like a Pendulum. I mean, you really are swinging back and forth across the landscape of mood and soundscape. And I think Pendulum does a, a marvelous job of kind of opening up the show and presenting that as a canvas on which the rest of the show can be painted. So big fan of that as an opener. Cool. Okay. Uh, number four for me is, uh, I mentioned it, Oceans. Yeah. Uh, the Countin. Oh, the Countin. <laughs> I think a lot of people will talk about this as a great opener because of MTV Unplugged, and rightly so. Uh, this song builds so well in the imagery of welcoming someone into uh, into the shore, onto the shore um, from the ocean. I think it's just really, really cool. This song is like a greeting. This is a, a, a greeting song. Whenever I hear it, I think of being welcomed. Oops, I hit the mic. And um, I, it comes back to that opening. And I always think of MTV. And so when I, the second show, the second home show in Seattle, fortunate enough to be there and talking to my wife I'm like man I think they're gonna open with oceans she goes really I go yeah and one two three, or wh- however however he opens I forget one two hold on and I yeah. go oh I knew it and I got so excited get goosebumps so oceans for me number four what do you got for number three three for me would be corduroy Ooh. I think uh, corduroy with, is without interstellar overdrive uh probably without okay um but i will say that this particular song is just quintessential pearl jam on so many levels the chiefs in the track also as to the jackets and, and you know the era of fame and all that but also it's it's arguably their best mid-tempo song and so i think it works really really well again as a springboard on which you can you can go soft after corduroy you can actually bring it down a notch or you can raise it up a notch and that versatility to me really makes it a fantastic opener. I mean, it's, it's a great song in the middle of a set list, which is where you usually find it, actually. But right there at the beginning, I think, is a fantastic springboard. I was looking at that, um, and I really did enjoy, especially when Interstellar Overdrive precedes it as an opening. I kind of usually, I, I kind of put them together in my in my, in my mind, in my set list here, or my, my mm-hmm. list. And um, that that is the greatest live song for me yeah so, so imagine opening with that you know what i mean they, it's like when <laughs> they do open with it i'm i'm super excited yeah number three for me is pendulum as you mentioned a moment ago the drone the bass oh. the drums it's a song it's a, it's a tunnel man and you get sucked right into it it's a it's a vortex it's fantastic mm-hmm. it, it's a song but the instrumental portion of this makes me feel like a modern day, like it's a modern day master slave. 
That's it really the, is. That's what the music makes me feel like. And it feels like the opening of a record, even though it's sitting in the middle of Lightning Bolt. It feels like it could be the the beginning. And eventually one day when we retrack Lightning Bolt, you might see you might see it there for me. Um, and once Ed sings that, ah, 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 I feel like he's slowly kind of waking us up uh, for what's to come. And this song kind of eases us into what's next, even though the subject matter is very dark. It's just this weird dichotomy that gets you jacked up for the show. But at the same time, it's this weird, like you said, it, it's it's a multitude of emotions in one. And so it's a good um, foreshadowing of what we're going to get throughout the show. Yeah. You know, I've always wondered, just as an aside, the Pendulomorphosis track mm-hmm. that Jeff put out there, it was kind of like a B-side on a single, if I recall. Uh, you know, they would always have a, a song playing in the background, right? Um, I think it was, was like Red Dot for Yield, and it was Master Slave during the 10 tour. And then the band would walk out on the stage, but that's what was playing in the background. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I want to say it was like Aida Venita for... Uh, Vitalogy. Uh, I don't recall hearing this track, but I think this it was. Was it? I, I don't think it did open. It. Was it? It was just there with the lights on and then they come out and that's okay. I want to say that it was. I could be wrong, but I want to say that it was. I don't remember hearing that, but um, even today, I think that's still an awesome song to just have in the background. Yeah. It really would be. 100%. Anyway, number two for you. So, number two for me is Of the Girl. Um, mm. it, it's one of my favorite tracks period by the band definitely off of binaural one of my favorite tracks it's your best hard riff (laughs) hey you know what i I, i've said in the past that uh you know that one kind of straddles in between it's it's more mid-tempo i I just think that the band they all they all yeah 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 look it is like the quintessential jam session and i say corduroys like pearl jam to a t this is them like jamming just in the studio or, or out on the street somewhere. And it's a wonderful way to just kind of guide someone into a rock show. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's not a hit you in the face type thing. It's a slow build. So if, if you go back to the binaural tour itself, that show they did in Bellingham, it was like a warm up show basically at the Mount Baker Theater. They opened it with Of the Girl. And the crowd, I mean, a part of the energy was they hadn't seen a band in a while, right? But you, you get the, the clapping with that drum beat, you know, hitting that bass drum. And, mm-hmm. and Matt just kind of brings the crowd in. And essentially, the clapping becomes an instrument in this jam session. What better way to welcome a crowd into a show than involving them like that in this musical um, intro, if you will, which eventually obviously becomes a song that really never quite peaks, which I find really interesting, which I'm actually cool with because you have the rest of the show to do that. So the song works so well as an intro. I actually, uh, you know, we've already retracted Binaural, but in looking back, I mean, this, this, this track could have very easily opened that album as well. Yes, and your point about the clapping as an instrument uh, is well taken. Uh... It was right on the edge for me being involved uh, mm. in this in this top five. Uh, it is not, um, even though I love the song and, I th- and it, it did open um, Ben Arroyo. And yep. I, I think back to as you were talking about Bellingham, I, I think back to that show and think, wow, that was such a great way to open the show. Um, my number two is Long Road. I like it because I think back to the touring band 2000 DVD 
and it was probably my, my reintroduction to the song uh, because I didn't listen to it for a long time, and still to this day, um, I almost always listen to a live version of it versus the studio version. And so when I listen to a live version, I come back to the touring band, so my, my reintroduction to the song, and I just love how it, it's an it's an old and common show opener, but when I hear the opening notes and the opening D, I think, okay, this is Long Road. Maybe we're gonna have a long show. Mm. Maybe this is like a, like a microcosm of what's to come. Um, and it opens you up the same way that sometimes does with like Ed by himself and then the band joining in mm-hmm. and building the song up and up and up. Yeah. Um, I just love that feeling that that ascension, and it's a longer song as well. So you have time to warm your body up and vocal cords up for what's to come in, in this presumably long set. And so if I hear that song, I go, okay. I think we're going to be in for a long night here of, of fun songs from all over the spectrum. And um, that's why I like it. Number two. I love it. Number one. Release. Uh, it's been played as an opener over 140 times. It's the most played opener amongst all Pearl Jam songs. And I think it's that way for a reason. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't mention Oceans in this conversation yet. And, and the reason I didn't is because that was neck and neck with the release for a while. And then I thought to myself, both these songs are from the same album, you know? And, and I thought, is could I have two tracks from the same album inside my top five? Well, of course I could. Ultimately, I went with release. And uh, I, I suppose I, I should push Oceans into that honorable mention category. Mm. But uh, I, to be honest with you, like right up until we were going to record this podcast i actually was still kind of toggling back and forth between the two and i figured whichever one didn't win out i'd throw in the back but uh for me release is, is the best opener only because it's the intimacy of it and the personal nature of it when the band opens with that song there to me it signals something about their willingness to be vulnerable and naked metaphorically speaking of course with the audience that night or that day and i I found that when a show opens with release it leads to a figurative release amongst everybody because it really does become a very euphoric experience watching them play and and just sharing that soundscape with fellow uh, pearl jam fans and the band themselves of course and so for me, that's by far the best opener. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean every show I have with release. It just means that I appreciate its place uh, as, a, as, a, as a track that has that type of potency when it comes to opening up a show. Well, unsurprisingly, I agree with you. Um, is it obvious? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, hearing Stone play that D arpeggio over and over, if that doesn't get you jacked up, I don't know what will. Right. You hear that open a show and the lights are still base, you know, coming on very slowly. The guys have just walked out there. You know, half the guys aren't even ready yet. Talk about building up from the smallest musical seed to a full-blown plant of emotion. That's this song. And it has it all. It doesn't even matter what comes next. It could be a soft or, or a hard song, fast, slow, whatever. You are ready for three hours of excellence when the sun opens the show, and you know it's going to be a good good night. 
I, I'm pretty sure that we have both seen release open a show at least once. And anytime you get it, you know, fuck, this show is going to be great. Because it just, it just builds from, like Long Road in a lot of ways, for me at least, it just starts from the simplest musical piece and builds to this just expression of emotion that's just wild and everyone isn't involved and just at that point at the end of the song everyone is ready to accept what comes next yeah in a very optimistic way it's like a, a show or a film that opens with this breathtaking opening scene and in your head you're thinking this is going to be good like where 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 could it possibly go from here you mm. know for me that that's what this track exudes well, there you go, guys. Our top five show openers. Was it a surprise? Was it really obvious? Was it not obvious? Let us know. Give us your top five. Comment on Yeah, the- what are we missing? I mean, you know, can I just throw a shout out here really quickly? Yes. Uh, I'm always a fan of what's out there in support of the band. And there's a great web- website that we've never actually pumped before, at least to my knowledge we haven't. It's called livefootsteps.org. And if you go there, it's basically a Pearl Jam live statistics website. And you, you can literally search top 10 closers, openers. You can do it by year. Um, they'll show you stats on all kinds of things, man. I mean, obviously, the, the, the band's website will show you which songs have been played and how many times and so on. Uh, this site does it as well. In addition, it'll show you, um, it'll, it, it'll literally break down their very first show in chronological order it'll show you every show after that it's just a fun little resource and so encourage folks to check that out and i would, I would argue it's probably more accurate than pearlgym.com as well you think so i think so hmm. uh okay there we go uh let us know what you think give us your top five i'm excited to see what you guys think now entering our second segment here uh this segment is called what if And Paul, the question that you've posed to me that I will repose back to you. What if that woman hadn't driven her car into Eddie Vedder's house back in the early 90s? This to me, and I, I, I said this to you in a correspondence earlier in the week. I think that this single moment completely changed the trajectory of the band from that point forward. Uh, I don't think we get yield i don't think we get no code i don't think we get um well i'd have to check back to the year actually when that actually happened i want to say it was in 96 but we definitely don't get yield i don't think we get binaural and i don't think we get riot act Uh, i think those three albums probably don't exist i think we get a couple of other outstanding just blistering rock albums that go down as some of the, the, the best music Pearl Jam's ever made. And I think those albums most likely consume the band to the point where they don't survive. They break up. Um, a, a band member literally doesn't physically survive the ordeal hmm. or, uh, or they go the way of, of Soundgarden, you know? It's either the Alice in Chains route <laughs> or it's the Soundgarden route, most likely. Um, they were just too huge at the time. So, you know... This particular stalker, uh, because let's just call it what it is, and uh, th- th- this woman drives her car into 
his house at like 50 miles an hour, nearly kills herself. And at this point in time, Eddie, who was living with his wife, Beth Liebling, at that time, he's obviously married to Jill now, uh, he really didn't know how to process this. So the track, as, as we all know, is chronicled in, in uh, I'm sorry, the event is chronicled in the track Lucan on 1996's No Code. And he almost became the essence of what we're doing right now, which is quarantining. I mean, he, mm. he self-quarantined for a period of time. He, he did not want to leave his house. He became reclusive. He, be, he became angry. Uh, he hasn't never really spoken publicly about the incident or what happened to the woman. She did not die in that incident, by the way. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, there were no legal proceedings against her from that point forward. But, uh, you know, he and his wife at the time, Beth, they had to find another place to live outside of Seattle, which never really became public knowledge. And it was at that time that he basically had come to the realization that the path the band was on was going to light them up. I mean, they were going to just eviscerate themselves on this path. And so anything that sounded like a, like a smash, like a, just an awesome single, it, he, he's quoted in Rolling Stone back in 2005 as saying that sound, it was life-threatening to him. So he's in the studio and it sounds like, you know, Stone, or, uh, you know, Mike, Jeff, somebody brings a track in and it just, it, it looks like it's going to be a hit. He immediately rejects this kind of a sound. Anything that was catchiness, he was just, you know, trimming out of their, out of their music. And I think that you saw that come to fruition on No Code. That's really where the band lost a lot of fans. I mean, you had albums that were just going platinum. And then, of course, this album comes out, No Code. And a bunch of people would just completely just threw their hands up and said, are you kidding me? Like, what is this? Uh, and they lost, I think, a huge following with that album. I mean, some people attribute it to the whole Ticketmaster affair, but I would say it was this particular moment and the way that it affected the leader of the band that really could be attributed. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, I should say that, that where the band went could be attributed to this because you had verses, which is 7 million plus you've got Vitalogy, which is five or 6 million plus and no code, just like barely limped there. You know what I mean? It, it just, it took time too. And it, it, funny enough, if, if you look back at that Rolling, Rolling Stone article, they interviewed Mike and Mike, I'm going to quote him here. He said, when we pulled back, I was like, Oh man, I was a bit bummed out because I wanted to keep doing it, keep doing videos. We had this chance. Let's take it, you know, let's not blow it. So even this choice to pull back could have destroyed the band. Ultimately, it ends up saving the band. And all the members of the band to this day will look back at Eddie's choice and the direction that he chose for them as the reason why they're still together. But at the same time, it was a risky and bold choice because it, it could have very easily led to the implosion that you know, other bands have experienced. Where, where, I mean, take, take Dave, obviously, who ended up, getting fired from the band because that path that Eddie had become so uh, adamant that they have to get off of, that was a path that I think he, he was magnetically linked to. And, and, and Eddie probably knew we can't move off and deviate and go where we have to go with him because of that. So I think that that event probably contributed to them losing their drummer. Uh, I think it, it literally led to the kind of music that you see on no code it obviously led to the kind of music that you see on Binaural and Riot Act. Um, I think 
we saw a little bit of it, you know, with, with yield, that was kind of the last gasp of them kind of flirting with that original sound a little bit. And then as soon as you had tracks like Wishlist and, and, and Given to Fly, they were in the news again. It, they were popular again. That, you know, Last Kiss blew up. That's when obviously, it, you know, it, sure enough, it just triggered Eddie and he was right back into that, that reclusive shell, pulls them back and, you know, sadly pulled them so, so far back that we had albums that uh, in, in some respects are real treats because as inaccessible as they were at the time, we as Pearl Jam fans have really grown to appreciate that from the band albums like binaural, obviously, and, uh, and riot act, but to the masses, those two albums are the least appealing. Now I don't find them necessarily the least appealing, but I will say that the music on there is far less accessible. And I think this is the reason why. So you could argue that this not only made them stay together as a band, but led to them becoming a better band. Or you could argue that this essentially caused them to lose their way as a band before eventually finding themselves sometime around Avocado or perhaps better yet Backspacer. I don't know. Well, if, if you say it was a choice by Eddie, I bet in his mind, it didn't feel like much of a choice. No, he, I agree. he wasn't thinking of it as, as you were just saying, it didn't feel like he was thinking of it in a musical band job kind of way. He was thinking of it as a, like you said, life threatening kind of way. I got two quotes here. I want to read um, from him from the time. One of the reasons you're protecting yourself is because you've been forthcoming with your emotions. He says, so you have to build a wall and now people are driving into the wall. <laughs> that's what fucks with. That's what fucks with your head. I felt like my brain was a whore and I was getting mind fucked. He goes on to say, I was almost overwhelmed by it all. I had this house, not a giant house, but three or four nice rooms and a jukebox. And it had this laundry room and I would sit in there with an ashtray that I trusted. It was like the world couldn't get me in the laundry room. So it wasn't musical. No. This woman claiming that he is the Messiah who raped her and fathered her two children obviously has problems. But the, the issue is when you write music that so many people, especially in that time, that, that, that half decade of time, maybe, maybe if you go earlier into the, into the late 80s, people of a certain age, young teenagers, young 20-year-olds, they were feeling something and Eddie tapped into it. Yeah. Um, and when you can connect with people in a certain way, people are going to react in a certain way. And some people go a little overboard, shall we say. And of course that stuff is still happening and to many different genres and many different, I mean, look at Dimebag Daryl, you know, yeah. he was playing in a new band in 2004 on stage in Texas. And some guy, who thought that he was the reason that Pantera broke up, comes up on stage and shoots him in the chest six, six times. And that's why there's no more Dimebag Daryl and no more Pantera reunion. Like, fuck that guy. But there are psychotic fans out there who don't know how to relate properly and don't have context and just have chemical imbalances or whatever. So Foxy, you, my panel mamas. Yeah. So you can have people really, really identify with what you're feeling. And that's great. And that's what makes you successful as a band. But when there are people who take these things too far and start endangering your life, yeah, 
you rearrange everything. And so take her, like you said, plus, you know, Dave wanting to go down that path and Mike to a lesser degree and you're at a crossroads and maybe they, they were already having issues and Jeff too, I think with the fame part of it and be like, Oh my God, is this going to change me? I'm a little uncomfortable with this to having some woman drive through your goddamn house. All of a sudden it's not about music anymore. Yeah. And so to, to be able to stay together despite that and be strong enough to do that. Thank God, because we wouldn't have this podcast, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there wouldn't be a band much longer. So obviously it saved the band. Uh, but it, yeah, it begs the question, how many albums would they have had after this? Would they have been more like verses and, and would they have just flamed out? It's, it's hard to say, but I think it's probably that. Um, you don't, you don't get no code. You don't get Lucan, obviously. No. Um, the isolation that Vetter and the band steered into um, kept them from maximizing their potential for success. And that was intentional. Um, they went the other way for a few albums, at least. And, and it brings to mind, uh, I don't mean to cut you off. No, I no, apologize, Jason, but uh, it, that Robert Frost poem, um, the road not taken. Oh yeah. It ends by saying, and I, I took the road not taken and that has made all the difference. And, and for me, this moment is, is that moment where the band, they take the road not taken. As you just mentioned, they went the other way. And ultimately, that has made the other difference. Because like you said, they wouldn't be here. And uh, that alone makes that path all the difference. 100%. 100%. All right. Let's go to our lyric of the week. Paul, lyric of the week, um, not surprisingly, comes from No Code, and it's Lucan. When I stumbled on this as a what-if idea, I couldn't help but explore this particular lyric. And you look at... Eddie talking about this laundry room, and it, which was funny, this, this uh, ashtray that he trusted, right? Lukens was that spot away from there. You know what I mean? He's got a spot. He knocks at the door, and now he knows that life is worth. And to be in a place so low that you, you start questioning the value of life because of how readily able someone is willing to throw it away at 50 miles an hour outside of your front door to me, like I said, it just, this was that pivotal point in the band's career and ultimately completely changed the trajectory of everything we would ever get out of them from this point on musically and personally. And, uh, that particular moment, it's really, really hard to, to, uh, to capture, but I think this song kind of captures the frenetic madness of it all. And, and, there's an incoherency to, to it in that moment. I think looking back on it now, there's a hell of a lot more clarity. But in that moment, God, talk about the gravity, man. I mean, you, you're the front man of the biggest band on the planet. What are you going to do? You know, Because if you move off that path, like what if the whole thing falls apart? And, but conversely, what if you lose yourself in the process for not moving off? So, Well, to me, um, to, to kind of maybe zoom out and... Um apply less context and just kind of zone in on the lyrics themselves. Um, which I think is a really cool way to look at 
any song, but this one, uh, especially uh, because of what we're talking about here with this, what if is, you know, this song is about having a sanctuary. Um, everyone has a place, maybe even just figuratively, right. that is a sanctuary. And it's also about having a friend, a good friend, you know, one who can rely, one who you can rely on to help you in really difficult times. And I feel like women, uh, girls are better at this than men, uh, allowing themselves to be vulnerable enough to admit when they need the help at all. Yeah. And a lot of Pearl Jam songs are about escape, and to an extent, this is. It's a reprieve from what you're dealing with. And having that place and or that person you can rely on to shelter you and your problems is massive. And we all need someone, some place like that, I think. And even though this song was written in part to prove a point to a friend that they could write a short song, it's got a great message. Um, despite where it comes from in this horrible situation that prompted the story in the song, uh, it's yeah. got a great message. It does. And fucking leave it to Eddie Vedder to, to find madness and create beauty out of it. That's just kind of the story of his life with, with his lyrics. Yeah. My only question is, what's in the fridge? And I asked yeah. him in the same <laughs> way that, that Brad Pitt asked the question, what's in the box in seven? What's in the fridge? <laughs> Now I know life is worth. Well, what's in the fridge? Yeah, stay with exactly. you in there. Probably a really good ice cold beer. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm holding one right now. Look at that. You know, man, since you mentioned vulnerability and, uh, yes. and the gender dichotomy with that, uh, just want to plug a good friend of ours, Christian Lopez. He's got a, mm. a great site on Facebook called uh, Behind the Masculinity. So uh, if you want to search for Christian Lopez on Twitter or on Facebook, uh, it, it's a great site behind the masculinity. He, he's a former minor league baseball player, and uh, the entire site is dedicated towards men uh, rediscovering, if they've lost it, their vulnerability and finding a way to channel that into what, what should be regarded as real masculinity. And uh, I encourage anybody listening, if, if you feel vulnerable or, if more importantly, you feel like you have to shield or cloak that vulnerability, uh, I welcome you guys to go to go check out Christian's site, uh, become a follower, and uh, that sounds creepy. Become a follower, check out his site, and <laughs> be a friend on Facebook. Be a friend. Yeah. Be a friend, man. Twenty twenty one should be about friendship because twenty twenty was not. Twenty twenty was like find yourself through the darkness. <laughs> so let, let let's all be friends again, and uh, and let's make 2021 a hell of a lot better than 2020. And that uh, that group is um, you know, behind the masculinity. Masculinity is spelled M-A-S-K hyphen linity because uh, he was a catcher, yeah. minor league catcher. So therein lies the pun. Um, and it's a great yeah, it's a great resource for for what you just mentioned as well as just a greater. Um, a greater mental health chat amongst guys where that's yeah. not a thing that is or has been um, welcomed, which is dumb. Yeah. So go check his thing out. Um, it's great stuff. And uh, let's move on to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up. Paul, live cut of the week. Obviously, we're going with Luke, and it's going to be the, the, the shortest live cut we're ever going to do. And uh, where and when are we going? We're going to 
Chicago, Chi Town. Let's okay. go there. Yeah. Let's go to Soldier Field, July 15th. No, July, July 11th. Pardon mm-hmm. July 11th, mm-hmm. 1995. Uh, why then? Well, let's listen and then we'll chat. back it's been about 60 seconds yeah <laughs> it's been barely a minute uh why this song or why, why this version of this song i'm gonna quote a very good friend of mine who texted me yesterday at 806 p.m quote by the way i think it's funny you picked a version of lucan where he literally doesn't sing any of the lyrics from the actual song haha end quote <laughs> that's from that? you jason oh, yeah, it was me. <laughs> that's look man and this is what i said to you at the time he literally screams and grunts through most of the lyrics most of the time anyway. But they're almost never the same. If you listen to that song 100 times over, you're going to notice it, sometimes it's very subtle. It's very nuanced. Sometimes it's a complete overhaul, like slow Lucan, musically, complete oh overhaul, but lyrically as well. One of these days, if we do our, um, our song evolutions, I think that this definitely needs to be up there. But yes. uh, that to me personally is my favorite version of the song, but I don't think it's the quintessential version of, of that song. The reason why I like this particular one is because you can really, you really have to struggle to pick out the lyrics. And what I love about this version is that it's so frenetic. It's so full of just madness that it, 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 it really captures what I think was the mindset of this woman running into this person's car. And conversely on the flip side, what was his mindset at that time? Just a million thoughts running into each other all at once. And so having the lyrics essentially running into each other, I think mirrors the intent and the theme and the cadence and the, the, the mood of the song so very well. Because I don't think it's, it's a song that's meant, I mean, lyrically, it's not like there's profound sentiments being espoused here. So I, I, I really feel like it's the delivery that truly captures it, which I know sounds bizarre because you almost want to hear clarity in Eddie's lyrics, but this is one of those few instances where I don't think it matters. That's a good point. Yeah. When you chose it, when you told me what, what the day was, I go, okay, well, I mean, Chicago 95, it's, it's that whole show is tremendous. It was the longest show of its kind up to that point in the yeah. band's career. So it, every song from that, I think we chose whipping from that show. Actually, we did. Yeah. Um, it's all going to be good. And I love that this song proceeds not for you at the show. How perfect is that? It's just, it, it's just lovely. And when you explain to me, great observation, by the way, thank you. When you explain to me why you liked the fact that all the words were unintelligible, I go, you know what? It's a tiny bit silly, but it's also mostly great that that's why you like it. But mention what you said about the tempo of the song. 
Oh, and it, it, the tempo of the song is very near the album in that it's not sped up. Almost every time you hear the song, this is more like you can actually tell they're playing chords. It's the proper, you know, 57 seconds or whatever it's supposed to be, as opposed to the 48 seconds that it has become over the years. Right. So I thought that stood out to me on top of not understanding anything he was saying, but your point about that making the song, because you know what the lyrics are. Right. So in the back of your mind, you know what they are, you know what he's saying, but to add that, that fun little nuance to this version, it's like, Oh man, you're, you're right. The, the song is encapsulating a fucking weird, crazy moment. It's a tornado. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Luke. What a way to, to break in 2021, huh? <laughs> yeah. About <laughs> How about that? I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a yeah. fun way of getting into, into, into 2021. My goodness. We have a lot of shows in front of us, Paul. We do. I'm excited. Big things coming. Big things. And uh, we're working on some things behind the scenes here on some people to talk to. And um, so I'm hoping, hoping uh, later this year, we're going to get some some fun folks to be on the show. I know, one, we definitely have an author coming on the show uh, in the next uh, handful of episodes. So be on the lookout for that. If you've read a book that maybe come, came out last year. As well as somebody who created a very, very special and beloved app as well. Mm-hmm. That is correct. So... Um, a lot to look forward to. Uh, more retrackings. Oh man, can we do, do we do ten? How's that going to be? Uh, it's 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 borderline sacrilege. So why the hell not? <laughs> We're gonna get hate mail for that one. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we'll push it to twenty twenty two. We'll just keep on pushing the hard <laughs> stuff. Uh, so guys, thanks again for twenty twenty and all, all the thirty six episodes or whatever it was that we did, and um, fifty two to do this year. So until the next one next week, you've been listening to. The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.